5: This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to The Tom
3: Sumner Show.
5: welcome back everybody this is the tom sumner program My guest this hour is the author of no spring chicken and no it's not a biography of me it's uh stories and advice from a wild handicapper on aging and disability uh, her name is uh, francine Falk allen and she joins me by phone hi francine welcome to the show hi tom good morning um, good morning for me <laughs> yeah. well and and it's uh you know when this airs it will be morning as well, so we're 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 in sync time wise um but let's let's talk about this book um no spring chicken I, partly because of the cover design looks like it's written for young people, but I don't really think it is and it's kind of a follow up to your uh uh previous book which was uh not a Poster Child, Living Well with a Disability, a Memoir. Um, let's talk about that, because you had a background in, um, well, just because I didn't want to, well, I didn't want to do the whole long thing in the introduction, but why not? I'm famous for long introductions. Um, you were an art major, and uh, you had a B.A. in managerial accounting. You ran your own business for 33 years. You've always looked for creative outlet, outlets, including singing and recording with various groups, painting, writing songs, poetry, and essays, uh, some of which have been published. Um, what happened? All of a sudden, you know, the the story takes a turn.
1: Um. I- Uh, I'm not exactly sure what you mean Um, because I I wrote a book about my experience of polio. Is that what you mean? Well, um, I was thinking when I got into my 60s that there were a lot of things I could remember back to even two years old. And I thought, you know, I should get these things down in an essay before I start forgetting them. And um, the polio experience was really still, you know, very clear for me. And uh, I spent six months in the hospital when I was three. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll write an essay about this. And it took me what was the equivalent of four chapters to get through um, the time I remembered prior to having polio at age three and uh, and the experience of going through the hospital and all of that, that was four chapters worth. So I thought, I think I have a book here. And I thought it might be interesting or useful for people to read a memoir about growing up with a disability and then navigating the world as a uh, a a woman with a disability, so I did that and um, enjoyed writing and then, of course, had to go through the editing process and the publishing process and all of that.
5: You know, I, I try to avoid asking women how old they are, but given the fact that we're talking about polio, which was almost completely eradicated by the sock vaccine, it, it makes me need to ask when was it that you contracted it was, i had diagnosis? it in
1: 1951 at age three i'm 73 now
5: okay so you were one of the last bunch of people to, to actually experience this disease and an uncle who had polio
1: well, actually, I wasn't one of the last. It was the the height of the epidemic was in the early 50s, and then the Salk vaccine trials were in 54, and the mass vaccination started in 59, but it was still going up through, I mean, 55, but then it was still going up through the 50s, and then uh, the Sabin vaccine came out in the early 60s. So. The last case of new polio in the United States was actually 1999. So um, I, in my polio group, there are some people in their early 60s that have had polio, and people from India uh, in this country um, that have had it over there, so uh, younger people, people in their 40s. Yeah. So it's not gone. It's, it's close to being gone. There are a couple of countries that are still a problem
5: yeah it's it's just that you know for most people listening it 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 goes back far enough Francine that it it's like talking about the Spanish flu to some people
1: yes that's it, right that's right it, it, i I went to a spa one time and um they wanted to give me sandals, and I said, I can't wear those, I have my own because I have to have something that straps on. And she said, no, you can wear ours, it's okay. And I said, no, I have polio in one leg, and I I can't wear them. And she looked at me, she said, I don't know what that is. And I thought, well, you know, in some ways that's really good.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and it is good, Um, albeit a little late in your case. Um, So now I know how my uncle lived and, and accomplished things with his his polio how did you
1: how did i manage yeah um... well the first few years after i was in the hospital i used kenny sticks and i wore a big heavy brace and then gradually the doctors said well this isn't really doing her that much good anymore and and i was a little stronger so i could do without and then i had a little build-up on my shoe um, for most of my life, and uh, I walked without any kind of assistive devices other than a build-up on my shoe. Even though, as I matured, I ended up having a, a two-inch limp, which is significant, <laughs> and my yeah. leg is, you know, mostly paralyzed. Um, but it's still functional. I have some strength in it. So I tried to be a normie most of my life. I like tried to ignore the fact that. I was different, but I was, and I had to more or less come to grips with that when I got into my twenties and thirties and and realized that you know I had to allow myself uh my difference, which was you know a physical disability, and also you know not expect other people to necessarily treat me as a normal person, although most people did, which it's just it's good and it's also a detriment because when when people expect you to be able to accomplish just as much physically as other people do, and you can't, you know, you keep striving to do that, and that's not a good thing. But also, um, you know, most of most of the people I knew just thought, well, you're not disabled, you just limp, which was also good and bad, because it was more than what they thought. I've had several people... Um, tell me that after they read in my book, they had no idea the difficulty I had been through. But I've always had fatigue. I mean, and not all polio survivors had that. There was a small percentage of us that had residual paralysis. But there are other people with disabilities that, you know, have to get by in the same way. I just did as much as I could, and I had to rest more often than other people. And now that's even more true.
5: More with author Francine Falk Allen
4: All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters.
7: The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov.
4: Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
7: Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
5: More with author Francine Falk Allen, straight ahead. Francine, because this was diagnosed in you at age three, um, does, it, does it feel, I, 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 the phrase birth defect is so awkward, but because you grew up with this, does it seem like it was just always part of you?
1: Yes, yes. I mean, I remember being in the hospital and being confused by it. You know, that I mean, I knew that I had to stay there, and I knew that things had changed drastically. And I don't know if you've seen the cover of my book, but I was three and a half in that picture, and... I look like a six-year-old that's been through a war. You know, you're, you're not like,
5: talking about the cover of Spring,
1: uh, and not no spring, spring Chicken, chicken. no. Uh, not a poster child. I apologize. Right. That yeah, but because uh, I've seen yeah, both it, covers. It, it's uh, there's something I was speaking with uh, Judith Human about briefly not too long ago. She's a disability rights advocate that also had polio, and um, I told her I thought that people who. Uh, Acquire a disability or a handicap, if you want to call it that, um, later in life, have a much harder time of it than people who grew up with it because psychologically you're, you just learn to adjust. You have, the children are really good at accepting things and you have to accept it. You know, there's, there's no fighting it. And I think adults, you know, particularly when they're mature and they've had a whole life of physical activity who have a stroke or, lose a leg or something like that. I think it's I think it's much harder on them. So, yeah, it's just something that was always there.
5: Well, your first book and you were talking about the cover of that book, Not a Poster Child, Living Well with a Disability, a memoir. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about that book and you shared your story. So, why the new book? What's what's the um what what made you feel like you had to write No Spring Chicken?
1: Well, when I was writing the first book, there were a lot of things I thought about uh, that had to do with more like advice than a story. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of experience that I've had that might be helpful to other people, whether they now have a disability or they're aging and they're facing Things like arthritis or or a stroke or something like that, sure. and um i've done a lot of traveling, even though I had a disability, and learned a lot about the easiest way to do that. so the first half of the book is a lot of travel stories and tips about how to make it easier for yourself and then I was also thinking about how uh, adult children have to adapt to their parents' aging and uh, people who have friends who uh, get disabilities first, because pretty much everybody gets a disability by the time they reach their elder years. I mean, when you get into your 80s and 90s, it's pretty unusual not to have anything wrong. So so sometimes um, people will say things like, you know, I used to go to the mall with my girlfriend every weekend, but now she can't walk as much, and I just don't know what we can do together. And that kind of... It made me irritated. I thought, there's lots of things to do with people who can't walk in the mall, you know. So I thought, okay, I'm going to write some suggestions for people who are adapting to people in their lives who have disabilities. And I do a program of... Um, exercises, simple exercises, both um, yoga and core strengthening, floor exercises, and when there have been times when I haven't been able to get down on the floor, I do a chair yoga, and I also do uh, pool exercises, uh, pool therapy, so I described those in the book, and then I went on to uh, talk about how I started a support group for polio people, and you can do that or find one for any kind of issue you have or even, you know, hobbies and things like that. You can start a group or find a group. So I talked about how to do that, too. I just felt like I had a lot of experience in in dealing with physical difficulty and that people might find it interesting. And I tried to do it with a, you know, kind of a cheerful attitude, sometimes a little cheeky.
5: (laughs) Well, and the cover certainly suggests that.
1: That's exactly why I love this cover. They gave me different (laughs) options, and I said, that's the one. The gal that did it, um, Elka Barter, she read the book, and it really helped a lot because she saw what I wanted to say, you know, that you may be old, but you're not done with, you know.
5: (laughs) Well, again, the the title of the book is uh, No Spring Chicken, Stories and Advice from a Wild Handicapper on Aging and Disability. Um, and it's scheduled to come out at the uh, at the end of June, just in time for, and and I love this phrase, uh, Disability Pride Month, which is uh, July. And, yes, you know I didn't I,
1: even know that from before we, we when when they told me when it was coming out, I didn't realize that Disability Pride Month was following it. I didn't even know about that. So yeah, that's really great timing.
5: Well, and that phrase is so interesting because you know I run into. Every day, every month has a list of things that it's designated as, you know, for awareness about something. And usually it would be Disability Awareness Month, but this is Disability Pride Month. And I, I, that, that phrase caught me off guard a little bit, I have to say.
1: Well, you know, I, I didn't even know it existed, and I always think of Pride as being our, our gay and lesbian um, friends, you know, right. but but um, it's true that there's, there's a lot of stigma in having a disability. I mean, one time I was uh, walking into the library with my cane and my little rolling computer case, and this guy who was... You know, he was a handsome guy with a really good haircut in in an expensive sports car. And he watched the way I walk, and he was staring at my legs, and he never once looked at my eyes, Uh, you know, looked up at my face and said hello or smiled or anything like that. And then he looked away. And it just made me feel like, you know, so strange, like I was an oddity. And I think that part of that is that... People fear that happening to themselves, you know. Uh, it's like, I'm glad that's not me. It is something that I think goes through people's heads. And I, I've, I've, I had the opportunity, um, to be in a seminar one time when, um, we were a support system for the people that were, uh, actually participating in the seminar. So the team that I was on had to sit and, Um, get into dyads and tell each other things that we had going on so that we wouldn't be caring anything about each other. We wouldn't be mad at anybody or irritated with someone or whatever. And time after time, people told me that they thought that I must feel sorry for myself and that I must be depressed and I must be this and I must be that. And, you know, that's really, I mean... I have sadness sometimes and I get irritated that uh things are more difficult for me than they used to be but you know I'm sort of like Donald Duck I grouse about it and then I move on and I <laughs> enjoy being outside for the afternoon or something so I think that there is some you know perception with a lot of people about uh you know how terrible it must be to be disabled and it's not great no but it doesn't mean that your life can't be wonderful so yeah disability pride be be proud that you got through it it's like being a war veteran in some ways
5: or be proud of the things that you're able to do and accomplish in spite of of having additional challenges
1: yeah exactly
5: yeah, I, I I had to read the the phrase twice and and uh, once to to acknowledge the fact that it was looking at disabilities differently, but also to make sure that I, I wasn't reading a misprint that was about uh, um gay pride and right. and uh, but the the book and and the stories and the advice I I would think that it would be very difficult and and I hope you dig into some of this in your memoir and and of course in the in the new book as it as it's coming out um it it seems like it would be very easy to be those negative things you talked about to be bitter to be angry um and is it is it just looking forward that gets you past the temptation to feel those things
1: um you know that's a hard question to answer it's a good one too um there i think i don't know i think it's resiliency more than anything because it's not that i don't feel that kind of stuff and it's not that i haven't felt it you know my entire life kids make made fun of me when i was little and uh my mother would say, just don't pay any attention to them. Well, that's kind of hard, you know, to just not pay any, but you have to let it go. And the way I think of it is you keep looking out the window. And like you say, looking forward, looking for the the thing that will make it better. I mean, if I'm exhausted, I lay down and read a book. I'm reading Michelle Obama's uh, uh, memoir right now. And, uh, you know she's a pretty inspiring person and there's a lot of that out there and and i have known people with disabilities who were very depressed and really had a hard time dealing with it and like everyone else the things that usually help are um you know encouragement from friends and uh and uh possibly you know psychological therapy and some people need drugs they have they have a uh, you know uh, chemical imbalance or whatever that prevents them from being able to move past things. I think I think veterans have the hardest part with that because they've seen and done things that we haven't had to do, and uh, um, there there are lots of you know uh, specific therapies that address that uh, PTSD now. So yeah. Yeah, I mean I I don't know. I think part of it is I kind of got my dad's personality and he was <laughs> he was a whistler and you know, he just looked on the bright side. My mother wasn't that way so much, but I I kind of got that from him.
5: Francine, you have a hyphenated last name, Falk-Allen, which suggests to me that it's a married name.
1: Yes, that's right.
5: And it and I can't help but asking this with, with all-intended sensitivity, but how candid are you in the book about romance and, and sex and marriage?
1: Well, I talk about that more in, uh, in Not a Poster Child than I do in No Spring Chicken. In No Spring Chicken, I mention my husband several times. And I also mentioned that, you know, we've had our differences and had to go to therapy a few times, just like any other couple, and that I think it's been um, not always easy for him, you know, to be with someone with a disability because it's upsetting for me sometimes, particularly when I get an injury, it's frightening and I always get past them, I always heal, but there's a period of, like, if I have a fall and I sprain a knee, it takes me longer to recover from that than other people. And when it happens, I'm probably more upset than some would be because (laughs) I know it's going to be a slow recovery, you know, having had things like that happen so many times before. So that's hard for him, and uh, he accepts it, you know, he knows that he has his stuff, too. But, um, and also in Not a Poster Child, I talked about how um, it was uh, a problem with dating because I thought of myself as being a normal girl who had a limp, but uh, someone pointed out to me, not until I was in my early 30s, uh, a counselor that I spoke with from time to time, he said, you know, you got to realize that um looking at you as someone to have a good time with and date or whatever that's that's one thing but looking at you as a possible mother for children who might not be able to carry a child around on her hip is a different thing and that opened my eyes to you know uh it was it was going to make a difference in who I might uh, end up marrying. And I was married once, uh, early in my 20s, and my husband was an alcoholic, which I didn't realize when I first met him. And I think I had a series of boyfriends that were like that because I was kind of settling. And he wanted me to have a child, and I didn't want to do it because he was an alcoholic, and I left him. So I think there are things like that that come up that, that you, as a woman with a disability, you might accept someone that isn't quite up to snuff. And, well, and, and alcoholics you know, I had, are, are had so to go m- through that, so...
5: Al- alcoholics are so much uh, fun and, and and so forgiving at first. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that better than anyone, I'm sure.
1: Well, he was actually a really great person. He just had a drinking problem, you know, and, and we remained friends afterwards. But uh, anyway, you know, I met Richard... Here's a story about Richard. I had been uh, in love with a guy in England, and uh, I found, and he was talking about moving to America, and we were very close. We're still good friends, but he uh, he told someone that he didn't consider me a life partner because he wanted someone who could ski and do those kinds of things because he was very athletic which kind of hurt my feelings. But then when I met Richard, not long after we uh, had dated a little bit, he said, um, do you want to go on a ski trip? And I said, well, I don't think I can ski. And he said, well, do you want to try it? <laughs> <laughs> it was a whole other thing, you know. So I thought, well, and, and he said, "Will you be happy if you can't do it, if you're up there with us? At the, you know, there was going to be the women were going to be in one room and the men in another room. And, and, um, I said, well, Yeah, I'll bring sit, a book, so I'll yeah. be fine.
5: Sit in the lodge around the fire with the people who broke their legs on the first day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I did
1: try it, and I did it for a few years, but, uh, it turned out to be not my sport.
5: Well, the, uh, the book is called No Spring Chicken Stories and Advice from a Wild Handicapper on Aging and Disability. Uh, Francine, what's the difference between a wild handicapper and a regular handicapper?
1: Well, you know, <laughs> I was—I actually was going to title the book "The Wild Handicapper" to begin with because I thought it sounded like a bird, and—and uh, and I think every person, as they age, has has a a certain desire for flight you know for for doing the things you've always wanted to do and that type of thing so uh that's mainly what it referred to i thought it sounded like i don't know if you remember yule gibbons oh yeah you know the wild this and the wild that all these different you know wild birds that he would describe in nature and so i thought well that's who i am i'm i'm i have a little bit of a wild bird in me so that's where that came from
5: Okay, I, I I thought it probably had something to do with uh, I, I don't know having a sort of a celebratory uh, nature about life and and uh, and and perhaps maybe liking to party a little.
1: Yes, that's true. <laughs> but I, I was a little wilder in my youth than I am now. But uh, weren't but we yes, all? I, <laughs> I do like a glass of champagne <laughs> a couple times a week. <laughs>
5: I, I think we were all a little wilder in our youth, Francine. What is it you're hoping people will get, um, first from your memoir and now from the new book, No Spring Chicken?
1: Well, from the from my memoir, actually what I've been told is it's just a good story regardless of whether you're interested in disability. And uh, so, you know, I hope that that people will just enjoy a good story in that one and maybe gain some awareness of disability. With no spring chicken, I'm actually hoping that uh, people will feel encouraged to take care of themselves as they age and find the ways that they can enjoy themselves and not give up traveling in particular because there are ways to do it. Even if it's just a trip to the local park with a cup of coffee, that's better than just staying in the house. So... uh, so I'm, mostly I just want to encourage people to enjoy their older years.
5: Now, I have to ask, because I, I spent a number of years as a professional musician, You, um, I, I was reading something uh, from your website uh, in your biography that you um, spent some time singing and recording with various groups.
1: I did. Yeah, I was... Uh, well, I, I wrote songs quite a bit when I was in my 20s and 30s, and they sort of were either like soft rock or country rock, that type of thing, and um, I always liked to just do that for fun with friends, and uh, then in, when was it? it, Was the late 70s and early 80s, I sang with the Sufi choir for four or five years. And I don't know if you heard of them, no. but um, well, it was a group that was based in the San Francisco area, and the music was um, sort of jazzy, spiritual. And um, our director was uh, Bill Matthew, whose Sufi name was Alaudeen, and he used to compose for Duke Ellington and play piano with him oh, yeah. when he was younger. And, uh, so he was the director and he did the, he did the arrangements of all of the songs and wrote most of it, but the, uh, the period when I sang with the group, each of us, well, not each of us, most of the people in the group wrote songs that were based on the poetry of Kabir. And so I wrote one of them and, uh, was recorded and that was my high point in, uh, musical (laughs) semi-professionalism we did a lot of concerts and then i sang with other groups that were um choruses and choirs and both both uh rock and roll classical and jazz that were you know volunteer groups in the bay area
5: well that's that's um fun and amazing and and all of that we're we're getting close to the end of our time, Francine. I feel like you're so much fun to talk to. I feel like we could talk all day. But um I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your your writing uh, past, present and future, maybe?
1: Oh, thank you. Do you have so a website? What's that? Well, I, yes, know, I know I you a do because have been and there. it's uh Francine. Falk with the hyphen F-A-L-K dash dot com, and uh, the new book is now being uh, distributed to booksellers, so people can get can order it from any bookstore. And also, there's a website called IndieBound org, which allows people to choose a bookstore to uh, buy from. I, I like to support them, and then of course. The other obvious outlets, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, all of those guys are carrying it as well.
5: Well, Francine, thank you so much for uh, sharing your story with me and the listeners today and in your books. Um, That kind of wraps it up, but, but thanks for spending this time with me, and keep up the good work.
1: Thank you so much, Tom. It's been really fun talking to you, and I really appreciate the opportunity.
5: All right. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Once again, that was um, Francine Falk Allen. She was born in Los Angeles and uh, lives in San Rafael, uh, California now. And uh, she is the author of um, a memoir called Not a Poster Child, Living Well with a Disability. But her new book is No Spring Chicken, Stories and Advice from a Wild Handicapper on Aging and Disability. And uh, that's uh, scheduled for release at the end of June in time for July, which is um, Disability Pride Month. And with that, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner programs..
6: New generation the time summer program, the time summer program the time summer program.
2: This is The Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to The Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now, too, and even now.
9: Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part.
4: Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported.
3: Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org.
5: another five-minute mystery an anniversary party is going on at the brown household around the corner one of the guests george taylor pauses while eating his dessert mm, best lemon pie i've ever tasted mary oh really i wish my wife could do as well hey it doesn't look as if sam is appreciating it much though
8: goodness dear is my cooking that bad Sam, your head is practically in your plate. I guess he's fallen asleep, everyone. I'm so sorry.
5: (laughs) That's all right.
8: Sam. Sam, sit up. Sam, it's dreadful. I'd better shake him. Sam. Sam!
5: Great guns, he's dead.
7: How do you do? I'm Sergeant Barker, the Homicide Division, and this is one of my boys, Mike Grady. Where's the body?
5: In the dining room at the table. We didn't move him.
7: Hmm. Might as well be comfortable, everybody. This will take just a little while. Hmm, dead all right. Peaceful, too. Who's Mrs. Sam Brown? I am. You mind telling me what happened?
8: I guess not. I'm so shocked. I don't know where to begin or what to tell you.
7: Well, you might as well begin by telling me what you served for dinner.
8: Well, uh, we had soup first. Soup? What kind? Mushroom. And then roast chicken, green peas, mashed potatoes, and I served him coffee... But I don't see how this could mean anything.
7: Just routine, Mrs. Brown. Did Mr. Brown eat everything?
8: Yes. Yes, he did. He seemed to fall asleep over his coffee. Mm Mm-hmm. And when I tried to wake him, I found he's had a heart attack.
7: Yeah, that'll be all for a few minutes, Mrs. Brown. We want to take a look around. Uh, notice anything about this table, Mike? No, Chief. Can't say as I do. Neither do I. Let's look in this kitchen. An orderly person, isn't she? Stacked dishes after each course. Yes, and here's the silverware over here. Ah, look, look, Chief. One of these soup spoons has turned black. Black? Let me see it. The only spoon that's tarnished, too. Well, I was beginning to think it was a heart attack or the perfect murder, but this silver soup spoon is evidence enough. Uh, Mrs. Brown?
8: Yes, Sergeant Barker.
7: I'm sorry to interrupt your little party, Mrs. Brown, but I'm sure your guests won't mind. Uh, I don't understand. You will, Mrs. Brown, you will. You see, you're under arrest for the murder of your husband.
5: Do you know why Sergeant Barker accused Mrs. Brown of murder? In a moment, we'll hear the solution. And now, back to our story. Sergeant Barker, how do you know it was homicide?
7: Well, Mrs. Brown took careful pains to wash the soup pans and soup dishes before she served the rest of the meal. Yeah, I can see that. But she forgot one thing, to wash the silver soup spoons. What she didn't realize was that an hour later, by the end of dinner, the spoon her husband had used to eat his toadstool soup would give her away. She didn't know that toadstools make silver turn black. Mrs. Brown almost committed the perfect murder, but she forgot to wash one spoon.
5: This five-minute mystery featured the voices of Sean Cantwell, Rhonda Groves Young, Randy Zimmerman, and yours truly, Tom Sumner. We hope you've enjoyed this mini-mystery.
2: Never had a patient To complain I tighten it up A little bit here And I touch it up A little bit there Sometimes I'm so involved I have to come up around, Cause I'm your rude doctor Yeah, yeah, yeah Ooh, doctor. Oh, yeah Pretty girls come my It's my root cottage. A dog, dog, a cottage. Just a little old medicine man. Giving you ladies a helping hand. Hey, baby, be here. I'm your man when you need a hand, babe. I'm your man. I'm your man when you need a helping hand. man.
5: that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program with a little root doctor and I want to say thanks to all the guests on the show today starting with this last hour with Francine Falk Allen who um, whose book No Spring Chicken tells stories and gives advice from a wild handicapper on aging and disability in the second hour of the show earlier we talked with uh, Dr. Nate Link the uh, chief medical officer at Bellevue Hospital in America, about his book, The Ailing Nation, Lessons from the Bedside for America's Leaders. And we started off today talking with uh, the author of Women in the Bible, Small Group Bible Study, Marina Hoffman. Coming up tomorrow on the show, we've got uh, former Ag Secretary Dan Glickman talking about his book, laughing at myself my education in congress on the farm and at the movies that'll be followed by our regular weekly uh, political roundtable armchair politics uh, and our roundtable regulars paul rosicki and henry hatter joined this week by jan worth nelson good night everybody the
0: tom sumner program is a live variety show we want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show